Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the OGEN uh, Summer Law Institute webinar series 2021. Um, thank everybody for joining us. We are looking forward to a very, very interesting and vigorous conversation today. Uh, we're so pleased because today we have with us uh, colleagues and, uh, and, and staff, <coughs> excuse me, um, <coughs> from the Black Legal Action Center. And we're gonna be talking about something that uh, a lot of our teachers have been asking us about to do something sort of in particular on for quite a little while here. So if you're here, you're joining us for dismantling anti-black racism in the education system, which is great. Um, my name is Nat Paul. I am OGEN's Director of Educator Support. Uh, we're gonna do, um, <clears throat> Uh, we're going to do a couple of things to get going really, really quickly, and then I'm going to turn it over to our panel for the day. Um, so uh, a few housekeeping items first. Uh, folks who have been attending will be familiar with these. So if there are any links or anything like that that we need to share, we're going to post them in the chat. If you have any questions or comments, you can uh, use the chat function or the Q&A function to post them. Uh, we will get through them and I think we'll probably leave most questions for the end. Um, <clears throat> but if there's anything that's especially urgent, uh, we can deal with it at the time. Um, so what else have we got here? Uh, okay, as well, I should say that the presentation is being report, uh, recorded and we're gonna post our, our uh, video and our PowerPoints as soon as we can right afterwards. Typically, this takes us about a day or two to do. Um, so we'll do a land acknowledgement. Uh, we are acknowledging here that we're gathered upon the traditional territory of the Mississauga of the New Credit First Nation, uh, the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, Wendat, and Huron Indigenous peoples who are the original nations of this land. Um, in making this announcement and in making this acknowledgement, we recall as well that Toronto, uh, where I am and where many of us are, remains home to a large and diverse Indigenous population. But in particular for today's session, it's important to say as well that there are many parallels between the experiences of those communities and the experiences of Canada's Black communities, of course. Uh, these include the roles played by colonialist institutions, uh, both the justice and education systems, in maintaining white supremacy as the atrocious logic of colonialism. So we acknowledge that the Black communities have been systematically victimized by this logic, as well as the role of racism in maintaining a school-to-prison pipeline for racialized people. Um, so as we gather here, even virtually like this, uh, we remain grateful for the opportunity to learn about how we can work on dismantling anti-Black racism in our schools. Um, it's my pleasure now to introduce our panel for the day and then, and then uh, turn the audience over to you. Um, first, uh, we have Jody Yadun, who has uh, over 15 years experience managing programs within the justice sector. She is currently the Provincial Anti-Black Racism and Justice Programs Manager at Black Legal Action Center, or Black, and manages links to justice. Uh, I think we will have uh, Halda uh, is either here or is joining us, I'm not sure, um, but uh, as a community legal worker who uh, works hard to ensure that members of the Black community across Ontario have access to Black services and to legal information related to anti-Black racism. Uh, and then we have Shade McKinday, who has worked as an organizer and a workshop director for several conferences and keynote speaker functions across North America. Currently, she works as a legal worker, a community legal worker for the Black Legal Action Center, working with communities province-wide to share legal information and increase accessibility to services that Black offers in relation to anti-Black racism. Uh, and so uh, with that said, uh, I will turn uh, the audience over to you folks. Please take it away. Thank you so much. Let me just share my screen here. All right. So thank you so much for that introduction. So my name is Shade McIndy, um, as was stated. I'm a community legal worker with the Black Legal Action Center. Hi, everyone. My name is Khalda Saleh. I'm also a community legal worker at Black. So I'm going to give you guys a bit of a rundown on what exactly the Black Legal Action Center is. Um, so we are actually a Legal Aid Ontario clinic, so we're funded by Legal Aid Ontario. Um, so we actually, um, so Legal Aid Ontario typically has um, legal clinics that are within like boroughs or neighborhoods um, all throughout Ontario. So um, we actually service all of, so we have a provincial mandate, so we service all of Ontario. Um, 
we are a legal clinic, but we are a specialty legal clinic. So what that means is um, instead of off, like we do offer um, the services that as a legal aid Ontario clinic would offer in terms of like, say you have a housing issue, so you have an education issue, you can call in um, and you will get legal assistance. Um, our, where we differ is that we are specifically, you have to have an issue that's specifically related to anti-Black racism to qualify for our services. So we do offer hybrid services. Um, so we we service people who are low and no income, which is also um, the financial eligibility requirement for Legal Aid Ontario. So we fall under that same requirement. Um, as I mentioned, so individual system, systemic anti-Black racism. So we only assist with your legal issue if it has to do with either individual or systemic um, racism issue. And it must be, of course, anti-Black racism. I'm not sure if I mentioned that. So we are relatively new. Our doors opened in March of 2019. Um, so we are actually building on the work of others in our communities. So we don't want to duplicate services. Um, so we do give out quite a few referrals. Um, if you call in, and as I mentioned, if your issue has to do specifically with anti-Black racism, or if you know someone who has an issue to do with anti-Black racism, you can definitely refer them to us. And um, when they call in, then we will definitely be able to either provide referrals or give them legal representation. So our vision at Black, um, so it's a society um, where anti-Black racism is named and meaningfully addressed, where the humanity and dignity of Black people are centered, where the laws and the legal system are reflective of the real experiences of Black people, and where racial equity and full participation of all Black people in society is achieved. So the definition that we use for anti-Black racism is policies and practices embedded within Canadian institutions that reflect and reinforce beliefs, attitudes, prejudice, stereotyping, and discrimination that is directed at people of African descent and is rooted in the unique history and experience of enslavement and colonization here in Canada. Thanks, Shade. So um, I'll be explaining a little bit more about the services that we offer at Black and the areas of law specifically that we work in that we provide direct legal services in. So as Shade mentioned, uh, we work specifically in combating anti-Black racism. So if somebody is experiencing a legal issue that has to do with anti-Black racism, for example, they experience discrimination somewhere, um, then we would be able to provide them with legal services if they generally qualify for our services. So the areas of law that we work in are employment, housing, human rights, education, prison law, social assistance, and police complaints. We don't work in criminal law, family law, or immigration and refugee law. So we do receive a lot of calls specifically about education, about human rights, and about employment, which might be relevant to you folks. Uh, we receive calls from perhaps teachers who are experiencing discrimination um, in the workplace, or we receive calls from parents and families whose children are experiencing anti-Black racism in the classroom, uh, whether that might be over-disciplining um, that has to do with the fact that they are Black, or um, involvement of the police by the school, or um, other issues of discrimination, essentially, um, that um, they view as a, like a reflection of anti-Black racism that they might be experiencing at either because of their teachers or the school administration or whoever it might be. So um, education definitely makes up a good chunk of the calls that we receive, um, obviously because it is such a systemic issue of anti-Black racism and other forms of discrimination uh, within education systems. Um, that said, we also support people who are interested in filing human rights complaints based on anti-Black racism. So whether that's within education or within um, other issues, so um, like um, housing or employment or so on. I also wanted to mention that for the areas of law where we don't provide people with support, or if we find that you're not eligible for our services, we do provide referrals and legal information. So uh, if somebody wants to access our services, they can call us um, on this phone number over here, or they can send us an email. There's also a contact us form on the website, uh, which is blacklegalactioncenter.ca. Um, and um, you will you will speak to our intake worker um, who will take some information from you based on um, you know generally what the issue that you're facing is what area of law it's in if it has to do with anti-black racism and also ask you if you're financially eligible 
So we are a legal aid clinic and much like any other legal aid clinic, there's a financial eligibility requirement because uh, we serve specifically low to no income black Ontarians. Um, so uh, it would be an assessment of your, your income. So that would include information about how many people live in your household, what your annual income is, and um, we'll assess that way. Um, if we are able to provide you with legal services, then one of the lawyers on our staff uh, would be able to, um, uh, yeah, call you back, provide you with those legal services, um, see what we'll, we'd be able to support with. Uh, if you're not eligible for our services, so if it's an issue with an area of law we don't work in, if it's some service that we don't provide, it doesn't have to do with anti-Black racism, or if you're not financially eligible, then we would provide you with referrals and legal information to the best of our abilities. Um, support persons are also welcome. Um, this might be especially relevant for education issues as well, um, you know, because a lot of parents might need extra support or um, folks that would advocate with them as they're seeking legal support or as they're um, advocating for their children in the school system, for example. Um, so, you know, whether that's um, an advocate that can support or an interpreter or a friend or a family member or whoever it might be, support persons are definitely welcome. If you're calling also to ask about an issue that has to do with somebody else, so you're not the client, but, you know, you have a, a colleague or uh, a parent or whatever, um, who you want to um, seek legal information for, you can definitely call. Uh, we provide you with legal information that you could pass along and then that person can call us later on um, to do a proper intake. Um, so the last thing we wanted to mention is that we do offer a lot of public legal education, presentations like this one and others, uh, where we talk about um, anti-Black racism in Ontario across a range of legal areas. Um, so basically the legal areas where we focus on, so education, housing, prison law, police complaints, and employment. We do this for community organizations, for students, for other service providers, for teachers. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we basically provide um, either sometimes legal information about like know your rights sessions. So for example, um, uh, know your rights uh, if you're interacting with the police or uh, knowing your rights if you have um, if you're facing discrimination in the workplace what to do if you if you have a human rights issue what to do um, that sort of thing um, and we also provide general information about what is anti-black racism what is systemic racism uh, we see that as really key part of our work we have a program called black in schools where we do presentations for uh, secondary school students and other youth programs um, and this presentation is really geared at young people to um, have a space to understand and discuss what is anti-Black racism, how it manifests, how it impacts their lives. Um, this is a presentation that we do for specifically Black groups, like Black youth groups, for example, but also for just general school classrooms. Um, and it hopefully provides an opportunity for students in a safe place uh, to talk about systemic racism, um, understand the manifestations of it in their lives, in their personal lives, um, and also be able to ask questions, discuss it. Um, we provide information about, you know, um, systemic racism and anti-Black racism in the education system, for example, or in policing, issues like that, that um, are especially relevant for young people, um, as well as providing, you know, language and, um, definitions, um, concepts, and stuff like that uh, to give people an opportunity to really um, understand what it is that they are seeing around them and probably experiencing themselves. Um, and we also hopefully, you know, present it in a way so that we give people an opportunity to, or confidence in order to advocate for themselves if they see something that, if something they're experiencing is wrong and discriminatory or a colleague or a student or a family member or community member or whatever is also experiencing something, how to advocate for each other. So uh, we wanted to plug that in case any folks want to um, um, include that. Uh, you can reach out to us directly if you're interested in having a presentation like that. Um, and generally, if you're interested in any public legal education sessions, as well as obviously contacting us for legal services or legal advice, that has to do with anti-Black racism. I know that Jody is gonna talk a lot more about the school to prison pipeline uh, and the project and the work that Black is doing specifically on that. So I'll leave that. Um, I do have a few resources, legal resources to just plug right now in case people have legal issues that they 
um, need some info on. So these are just a few websites that we refer people to a lot of the time um, in case they are facing legal issues. Um, so Steps to Justice and Clio both provide really great, um, straightforward legal information. Um, JusticeNet also provides people with free legal services. Uh, legal Aid Ontario, obviously, if someone qualifies for legal aid or is looking for a community legal clinic. Um, and the Human Rights Legal Support Center, which provides people with guidance and information uh, if they are filing human rights complaints. This is a really great place to start if somebody is potentially filing a human rights complaint, wants to know about the process, uh, whether it's in a school employment setting or whatever it might be. And obviously our website, blacklegalactioncenter.ca. Thanks, Nat, for also in including those links in the chat. Um, yeah, and of course, OGEN. <laughs> and uh, so that's it. I think we just have our social media handles. If anybody wants to um, follow us on social media, just to stay up to date on the work that we're doing. Um, and this, that's our website. So I'm gonna leave it to Jody now. Thanks everyone. Thanks everyone. There we go. Okay, I'm just going to share my screen now. Just one second. Okay, is everyone able to see that? Okay, perfect. So as uh, Nat previously mentioned, my name is Jody Dunn, and I'm the project manager for Links to Justice. So the Links to Justice project is a special project that is occurring within Black Legal Action Center. Uh, it originally was supposed to be a two-year funded project through the Canadian Heritage um, Foundation. And because of COVID and all the wonderful things that kind of happened, uh, it ended up that we are actually looking at a 15-month project instead. And so what we have been looking at from last December up until March 2022 is really focusing on the school to prison pipeline and really looking at what are the experiences of the Black community across the province of Ontario. So for this specific project, we chosen a Dinker symbol. So some of you may be familiar, some of you may not. Um, a Dinker symbols, they originate from West Africa and there's hundreds of symbols. Um, they all represent very different um, attributes, ways of being, value systems that um, people really try to amplify within their lives. And so we chose INSA for a few different reasons. Um, INSA looks at the um, the act of excellence, being authentic, and also being genuine. Um, those were three things that were really important to us. Um, number one is a project team in terms of how we interact with one another, but also looking at how do we interact with our community, so our stakeholders, our partners, and then most importantly, um, the community that we are representing throughout this project. And so that's what we've really looked at to continually ground the work that we're doing. And we also reflect on Sankofa as well, which is really looking at how do we look back and learn from our experiences, learn from the existing knowledge that we have in order to move forward. So as we know, um, Black families, Black young people um, are continually faced with experiences of anti-Black racism and oppression within our educational and justice systems. Um, a very direct example of this is the school to prison pipeline. So when we talk about the school to prison pipeline um, in community, uh, what we find a lot of times is that um, it's what we would call it's jargon in a way. So there's, it may be an everyday term that we're familiar with because we work in the field, people that work within education and whatnot, they're very familiar with it. But if I was to go ask my neighbor, oh, if you heard about the school to prison pipeline, which I did, they said to me, what are you talking about? And so when I broke it down and explained it to them, they said, oh my gosh, that's exactly what my son experienced from kindergarten all the way up until he finished high school. And so Part of the work that we're really doing as well is really giving people a name and language. Um, I think Shade mentioned that earlier, giving people language to talk about the experiences that they're facing and making that connection to say, yes, you're experiencing this. No, you're not alone. It's actually, unfortunately, quite common. And this is the language that we use to describe it. So going back to Sankofa, when we first began the project, it was really important that we looked at what research already exists. We definitely can't look at doing advocacy work and research work if we don't know what has already been done. 
Um, there has been a lot of work on the school to prison pipeline. It's quite extensive. Um, what we do find is that a lot of the data stems heavily from the United States, from the UK. And the data that we do have is very heavily dominated specifically by the city of Toronto with a little bit of data coming from the GTA as well. Um, some of the stats that are up here. So we know that black students are more likely to experience discriminatory treatment by teachers, um, also by police within the school system. And unfortunately over 42% of black students in high school have been suspended at least once. This is coming from existing data. Um, we also know as well that there is connections to the justice system, specifically um, children that are involved in the child welfare system and also children that are dealing with mental health challenges as well. And so these are things that we wanted to look at within the research to say what already exists and how do we expand on what's already been done and also looking at some of the gaps as well. So our main objective for this project, as I mentioned, is really to connect with our community across the province of Ontario. Um, we really wanna be able to better understand the experiences, um, provide spaces for learning, of course, increase access to resources and tools that exist within our communities, and then ultimately look at community-driven responses to change in policy reform. Um, what we know is that the province of Ontario, it's massive. Um, our communities are very diverse. Um, they're very different. And so we really wanted to look at, um, for myself, for example, I grew up within the city of Toronto, but I'm raising my family in Durham. And so my experiences raising my family in Durham is very different than some of the experiences that I went through in Toronto. Um, we wanted to look at, you know, what are some of the unique experiences that families in London might be facing? Um, or what does it mean for a family to be in Ottawa? And so what we're looking at within each, each of these eight regions is to say, what are the very unique challenges that you might be facing within your specific school board? Um, but what are also some of the best practices? We've learned already just in doing um, some research to see what already exists. There's an, a lot of amazing initiatives that are community-led, parent support groups, homeschooling groups. There's a number of really neat, interesting projects that are popping up across the province. But what we find is that if you don't really go digging for that information, it's very difficult to know what's out there. And so part of what we're doing is looking to say, what's really working within your communities? Um, how can we amplify that, support that? Um, is there something that we could be doing in another region that has worked very well for other communities as well? What we also were able to identify within the existing research is that the, uh, when we look at gaps, there was a lack of voice from Black LGBTQ plus students, also the Black Francophone community. And so we wanted to be very purposeful in doing focus groups and looking at different ways of connecting to ensure that their unique experiences were also highlighted within the work that we're doing. So for the community work, uh, what we chose to do was to connect with agencies that are already rooted within each of the communities. So for someone like, I'll use myself as an example, as someone that has primarily worked, lived within Toronto and with Durham, I have very little knowledge of key resources that exist within Ottawa. And so what we wanted to do was look in each region and say, what organizations are doing amazing work? Uh, who's acting as a pillar for the Black community? and then connect with them and build a partnership so that we can ensure that the members that we really need to connect with, those that may not have had the opportunity to talk about their experiences, um, share some of their ideas around what they would like to see change within the school and within the justice system, um, make sure that they're connected to the work that we're doing. And so in each region, we were able to connect with a key partner it was really important to us that they were black led. And if that wasn't possible, um, definitely black serving. And again, an agency that was really connected with that community for quite some time. That was a little bit tricky in some cases because, because there's been such a strong focus on anti-black racism um, in, in recent, although we know it's not new, what we're finding is that a lot of agencies, um, they're suddenly, putting that language into their, their, their mandates and they're, they're trying to add this information, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're actually connected to the black community, that they're able to have a firm understanding of the challenges and the needs of the black community. And so we really did our best to do due diligence to ensure that who we are partnering with really is an agency that um, is in a position to be speaking for the community specifically.
project down to components. Um, the first research, which goes back to Sankofa again, uh, we really need to, again, have a firm understanding of what's been done and, and really standing on the shoulders of not only our ancestors, but those that have already paved the way in terms of research and advocacy work around this particular area. Um, that was where we were able to identify some of the gaps that I've spoken about. And so that helped inform the work that we're doing moving forward. In terms of education and knowledge sharing, we do sessions like this where we talk about the work that we're doing, uh, our focus groups, which we are doing within each of the eight regions, uh, public legal education, which I know Halda and Shade spoke to as well. And then we've also really leaned on media quite a bit, and that's been due to all of the lockdowns that we've had. And so media was a great way for us to connect in ways that we might not have had the opportunity to do so. Everything from radio, television, and of course, social media. Um, it's really allowed us to extend our reach quite a bit. In terms of the focus groups, what we're doing is in each of the eight regions, we're doing two. One with parents and caregivers and one with uh, students and young people. Um, we have four key questions that we are reaching out to to find out more information about, and I'll get into those in a minute. And the idea around that is uh, originally they were supposed to be in person, but again, we're in a virtual world at the, world at the moment. And so what we're doing is um, partnering with our key partners to provide focus groups online. And so it definitely has its pros and cons, but the one thing is it has increased, I would say accessibility, and um, we've been able to reach out to people that way. The challenge that we do have is that people are facing Zoom fatigue and they're tired of being online and they're really craving that human interaction. So we are hoping in the fall, if things continue to progress in a positive way, that we will be able to go out into community and do these focus groups in person. The third component that we're looking at is tools and resources. So I mentioned that we really want to increase accessibility. Uh, one thing that we found already is that the focus groups have created a space for networking. Uh, what, we're, what we are gonna be working towards is creating a virtual resource hub that will be available online through Black's website. And that will be a place where young people, where parents, community workers uh, can go online and find out information specifically about any of the eight regions that we are working in. That will be everything from statistical data. So we are partnering with agencies to find out, do you collect race-based data? If so, are you willing to share it? Um, one of the challenges that we have even as community workers is when we want to talk about the, the need that we have, we often don't have access to the data to back it up. And we know it anecdotally, but we don't have, we're not able to get our hands on it. And so what we're really encouraging people to do is, is, is if you have that data, share it. Let's make it available so that we all have access to it. Um, also for parents as well, they should be able to find out information right away around what are the demographics within where they live? Um, what's happening within the school boards? What data is being collected by the school boards? And so that parents also and young people have access to what already exists. The fourth area falls under advocacy and policy, policy reform. So all of the work that we're doing um, will be compiled to um, put together a final report. Um, what we want to do with the report is do something a little bit different. Um, typically, um, reports get created, they're full of amazing content, and people kind of fan through them, and then they often end up on a shelf. Um, the, the challenge that we have with a lot, a lot of reporting is that it often isn't accessible to the people that are reflected within that report. And so we've chosen to use an art-based lens for the work that we're doing. Um, all of the data, the stories, the content that comes out of our focus groups and different activities, um, we'll be connecting with local artists to recreate, the, um, recreate what comes out of that. And so what we really want to work towards is a final uh, virtual report where my 11 year old son can look at that because it's done in a comic book style. There's poetry, there's short stories. It's something that he'll be able to understand and engage with and see himself and his own experiences reflected in that, just the same way a parent or a stakeholder would as well. So the four key questions that we're looking at, um, which we're addressing within our focus groups and online surveys, telephone surveys as well, is uh, what factors lead African, Caribbean, Black children and youth to be funneled out of the education system? Um, within that question, we wanted to highlight a lot of times when people uh, talk about the school to prison pipeline, they think about it in a very literal sense. So um, for example, a young person was in school, there was an incident that happened and they were arrested. They're now directly connected to the justice system. 
Um, and that does happen in, in, many case, in many cases. But what we also wanna look at is what are other things that are happening that is making the school environment a negative place to be that is also funneling our, our children and young people out of the system. And that can happen in various ways where young people don't feel welcomed, it's not a safe space for them, um, having a disconnection from the curriculum that's happening, um, poor relationships between um, other students or directly with faculty as well. And so we're really having conversations around um, what are some specific things that happen that still push our students out? And it may not be that direct connection to the justice system, but what are some of those things that are occurring and where can some immediate changes happen as well? The second that we're looking at is what are the experiences once they are pushed out of the education system? And that's where we're talking about that ripple effect that happens. Um, so for example, a very um, straightforward way would be where a, a child is suspended. So often with suspension, a parent receives a phone call right away and they're expected to drop everything and go immediately to school. Um, right there, that often puts parents in a position where their, their job can be compromised. And then we're looking at financial challenges. Um, it often means that extended family members then have to provide childcare for that child while they're not in school. And so there's a number of other things that happen that um, affect our communities in different ways. And we wanted to talk about that more. Um, the third question is, is pretty direct. How can the education, how can the education system do better to serve our community? Um, there we're really connecting to hear from parents and from students directly what they would like to see and looking at it at two layers. So at the systemic level, which we all know exists, but also what are some immediate tangible things that could be happening directly within classrooms to, to make it a, a better space for young people and for children to be. The fourth is looking at what actions are communities taking to reimagine systems um, for our children and for our youth and for our families? Um, this is where we really look at the resiliency and the amazing things that are happening across the province. So I had mentioned that um, already in the work that we've done, we found out about amazing things that are happening in Sudbury and Kitchener and Windsor. And we wouldn't know about those things if we didn't go looking for it. Um, a lot of times, some of, the, uh, most, some of the most amazing work that happens in our community, it happens quietly. And it's not done in a way where there's a limelight and media and all of these things, but how do we honor some of these, these really unique creative things that are happening that are really working for our young people as well? So currently we are in the process of rolling out our focus groups. Um, we, have come, we have completed some focus groups to date and um, I've highlighted some of the things that have come out so far. Um, so number one, we're hearing that this is the first time that they've had the opportunity to talk about what they've been experiencing. Um, it's been really liberating and it's given them a sense of empowerment to know that um, what they have been experiencing in terms of challenges isn't unique and that they'll, we've had experiences where a parent will talk about their specific experience and another parent will say, oh my gosh, the exact same thing happened to me and this is what I did to navigate that. And then right away within the focus group, we have an opportunity where parents are learning from one another, but they're also sharing resources around how to best handle certain situations. Um, the other thing that we're finding is that, unfortunately, many of our parents are able to identify that the negativity is starting in preschool. It's starting in daycare where they're already able to see at two and a half, three years of age, very distinct uh, negative interactions between the teachers and their child and their child already being be la being labeled before they even get into kindergarten. Um, the other thing that we're finding is that uh, it's providing a space where parents are immediately learning about local resources and services because we're doing the focus groups by region. Uh, we'll have parents online and they'll say, oh, I was able to connect with this organization. Another parent will say, oh my gosh, I've never heard of them. And so it's been really interesting to see already the space that it's provided for networking, for resource sharing, and really providing a platform to um, talk about how to best navigate some of the immediate challenges that parents are facing. So in terms of how people can, can get involved, um, there's a number of different ways. Um, so the focus groups I've talked about, the focus groups are available within each of the eight regions, and those are open to parents, caregivers, 
to um, young people as well from 16 plus up to 24 years of age for students. And then we also have the um, adult category as well. Sometimes people say, well, I'm 23 year old and I'm a parent, which focus group do I belong in? And we always say that's up to you to place yourself wherever you feel most comfortable. Um, we do ask the same questions in both of our focus groups, but it's just the perspective that you bring to it. Uh, the other way that you can get involved is for community organizations, um, for teachers as well. Um, we do provide uh, per more personalized sessions where we will go through the questions together, but we do it specifically with that group. So for example, if there's an organization that runs an after-school youth program, um, we can join the after-school program on one day and come in and do the focus, the focus group either in person or do it virtually within your program that's already existing. Um, we utilize that same, for, same format as well for parents. So if there's an organization that does parent workshops, we can come in one week and we can organize the focus group to be a part of the sessions that you're doing. Um, we also have online surveys available. I can share the link afterwards. Um, you would click the link, sign up and register, and then you would choose which way you would uh, want to be involved in the survey that way. Um, I will mention all of our focus groups, any information that we collect is strictly confidential. Um, we did go through an ethics review process, so we're very strict about how we engage with community to ensure that it's done in a way that's respectful and a way where um, people's personal information is not shared in any way, especially any identifying information. Um, the other way that you can get involved as well, which may be of interest to um, teachers or organizations again, is we are organizing a series of youth panels. Um, so the youth panels are youth-led sessions. They're for youth, by youth. Um, we work with, we so far we work with youth initiatives, with mentorship programs, and that's where we sit down and say, you know, what are some key topics that you would like to talk about in relation to anti-Black racism and your experience within the school system? For the youth panels, we are able to offer an honorarium for the panelists and for the organizers. And um, so far today, the response has been really good. Um, the great thing about that, as I mentioned, is that it's strictly run by youth for youth and our involvement as an organization is there to support in whatever way that the young people need in order to do the panel. And so we've had some young people that have been um, very strong in their leadership skills and they've said, you know what, we've got this. Um, other than maybe like some tech support and things like that, we're good to go. And then we've worked with other youth groups where they've said, you know, we really like some help trying to um, get our thoughts down on paper. And so we do some brainstorming around some ideas and thoughts and then help them construct some very specific questions to do the panel sessions as well. Um, the last thing that I'll mention is between September and December, we will be organizing a series of public legal education sessions. And so um, we do those in partnership with our amazing community legal workers. And those are really focused on the school to prison pipeline and, of course, looking at anti-Black racism as well. And so we're able to provide those to classrooms, to youth groups, um, community organizations. The sky's really the limit. It's just um, whatever audience is interested. So that's pretty much everything for today. Uh, this is our contact information on the page here, and I'll also leave it in the chat as well. So if you have any questions, um, feedback, uh, we always like to hear from community members. And the last thing that I'm, I'll mention is that we're always interested in creating new partnerships and um, we're just open in general to new ideas and, and different opportunities. So if you have an idea, certainly reach out and uh, you know if we're able to support or connect, uh, we'll definitely do so. Thank you. Uh, all right, so I think people are going to start to gather questions and things like that. Um, <clears throat> I couldn't help but uh, think of um, a, a professor I used to know, uh, George Day, while you guys were talking about some of this stuff. So I put a link to some of his work in particular on, um, <clears throat> well, he's worked on the, the quote-unquote dropout and trying to change the language around black youth from dropout to push out, um, which I think is a very helpful kind of way of looking at things. Um, just while we're uh, just while we're gathering, I think one of the things that um, the teachers are going to ask about um, is sort of like how can we get in like like we, we can get in touch with you, but um, 
what sorts of things would we expect if we were to, you know, book, for example, uh, one of the projects that you do in class? Like, what does that actually look like when, um, you know, when you guys come in and do your work? Okay, so in terms of um, booking like a workshop um, with uh, the community legal workers to do a presentation on anti-Black racism, um, very broadly speaking, and also about self-advocacy and all that, um, basically you can just contact us through our website. Um, we have, um, it, it's, it would be a public legal education session. So if you go on our website, there's under our services, you'll find public legal education and you can just submit a request form there. You can also use the general contact us form. Um, and yeah, and then we'll take it from there. We usually book, try to book things like at least a few weeks in advance, just so mm -hmm. that we make sure um, we have enough time to prepare. Um, the presentation includes um, some, to some extent, some um, interactive elements, like a bit of true and false questions, that sort of thing, some videos. Uh, we do ask a lot of like for a lot of student participation, which we think is really good. Um, we can do the presentation within class time, but a lot of the time there's students, especially we find black students who wanna stay back and have longer conversations. Um, we're also just happy to talk about other things as well if students are interested. So like if they're interested in a career in you know, social services, legal clinics, social justice, and that sort of thing, we're happy to talk about that stuff as well. Great. Does it, how long does it take them to uh, get comfortable and, and actually start telling you what they think? I feel like <laughs> maybe after halfway through. Halfway through, okay. Yeah, yeah we, we do have a, a bit of an icebreaker game at the beginning, you know, it's sort of like true or false. Um, also, just to um, add to the Black in Schools presentation, uh, we do touch a bit on, you know, some history in Canada of, um, you know, Black people, Black history here. Um, just because we know that that's not covered extensively um, within the curriculum. So we do like to go over and touch on a bit of that. So it gives everyone an opportunity to, you know, sort of learn and you know, it's just a really positive presentation. So wonderful. Uh, I have a question that's coming through email here. Um, so because uh, because you're linked to the LAO income cutoffs, do you have a sense of the level of community need <clears throat> that you're not able to address because of how many people are outside of the cutoff point? Um, and I can try to answer that. Um, I think because we, we just get a lot of calls and emails, generally speaking, into our intake line, uh, a lot of them are people who are who don't meet the cutoff, but we still hear about the issue that they're facing. So we still know what area of law they're talking about. Uh, we still take information about, um, you know, what they experience. So obviously a lot of people are experiencing anti-Black racism, whether they are under that cutoff or not. Um, so we do have that information and we do note it down and we do provide those folks with referrals to other lawyers, legal organizations, or just generally for legal information. Um, so yeah, we, no matter who, you know, when you first contact us, uh, we will still do a general intake with you in terms of understanding what the issue you're facing is. And we do note all that information down. So we do also get a sense of uh, what people are facing, whether they're under that cutoff or not. Hope that answers the question. Thank you. That's great. We have a question from the audience as well. Uh, someone said, can you talk a bit more about what a child or youth can expect if they contact Black for legal advice or information? Are there limits on what Black youth can do on their own via the legal system? Um, yeah, I can answer this question. I would do my best. Um, so as you know, um, just in general, um, to call into a legal clinic, you have to be over, I think it is the age of 18, if I do believe um, you do have to be an adult. Um, so if if there is um, someone under the age of 18 who does call in, we do have referrals available for them. So there is actually one organization called um, Justice for Children and Youth that we do like to actually refer um, people who are under the age of 18 to. Um, so they can sort of advocate on their own behalf when they go speak with the people over there, they can actually get like the services that they're looking for that we may not be able to provide just because of the age constraint. So that is a little bit of an issue. And I guess that does sort of speak to like the broader issue of like, should, you know, say someone is someone like a student is going through um, an issue within the education system, like, should they be able to advocate on their own behalf, you know? So unfortunately we don't really have control over um, whether they can or can't do that or whether we can give people under the age of 18, like, we, you know, we can help them. So 
what we can do is we can provide them a referral to um, Justice for Children and Youth. So they're they're great. We actually had uh, we had JFCY uh, a few days ago as well, and I, I'm terrible at doing anything like twice two things at once. But if anybody on my team wants to throw JFCY's link into the chat, uh, that would be great. Um, <clears throat> another question that's come through email is, uh, do you have, tr let me see if I'm wording this right. Do you ever find that it takes uh, a long time for kids to connect their personal experience to something systemic? Uh, my experience has been, um, I would say no. Uh, I find that young people are very, they're, they're super articulate, um, they're super intelligent, um, definitely resilient, but they're very savvy at understanding the systems that they're navigating. Um, what I often hear from them is like they get it, but they sometimes feel um, a lack of empowerment around that, meaning that I'm stuck in the system, I understand what the challenges are, but I feel I feel powerless, or I feel like I don't have the tools that I need to actually get through this. Um, but I, my experience um, just working like in the court system and working with you that have gone through the system from young all the way up, they, they definitely get it. They live it. Oh, uh, uh, do you, is there anything teachers can do uh, with respect to helping you find kids for your youth panels? Sorry, can you repeat that? My computer just glitched. This is actually a question for me, uh, from me that I, I just thought of while you were uh, speaking at the end there. You mentioned that you're um, pulling together youth panels. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wondered if there was anything that teachers could do to either help you find those youth or if they, if they you know, know of youth who they think would benefit from participating or would be a particularly strong asset to you in this respect. Is there a way that, uh, that they can contact you for that? For sure. So I think number one, I know, uh, I think it was Sade that mentioned uh, social media. Um, for our project specifically, we put everything on Instagram um, because that's where everybody is. And so all of our flyers for our focus groups, youth panels, um, any pop-up events that we're doing, it'll all be highlighted on Instagram, which is the School to Prison Pipeline Canada. Um, if you just Google that, you'll, you'll find us and, and give us a follow. Uh, the other thing that you can do is if you want to specifically share with people you know is just send me an email i can send you um, flyers and information on how to um, be involved in the focus group as well we do have i'm going to see if i can add the link for our um, online registration let's see here so i just put it in the chat here uh, this link is for anybody that's interested in being involved in a focus group, either as a parent, a caregiver, or as a young person as well. And for young people, um, we ask that they are 16 or older. Okay, well, we can give it a couple, uh, a, a moment further to see if there's anybody else who has any questions for our, uh, for our panelists today. But if not, then um, we can, uh, we can, we'll wrap up in a couple of minutes. Somebody is asking, I think that the answer to this is yes, but I, uh, somebody is asking if there's an honorarium for students that participate in the focus groups. So for our focus groups, we're not able to provide honoraria. Uh, unfortunately, uh, when the original application was written, the honoraria was not included. And so I did follow up with the funder, but it wasn't approved. And so um, the what we were able to do is provide honoraria for our youth panels. So um, the youth panels, uh, as I mentioned, are youth led. And for any youth panels that uh, we partner with um, for the panelists and for the youth moderators, they receive an honorarium. Okay. Okay, um, well, that's very helpful. Uh, and uh, and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna start to wrap us up here. Um, one thing that is very helpful for us is if uh, anybody in the audience is, able to provide some feedback on this session or any of the sessions that we've been running as part of this uh, webinar series. That's tremendously helpful. So I'm going to drop a link um, into, uh, into our chat here. Hang on. I'm trying to do two things at once again. There it is. So this is a very short survey. It should take you five to seven minutes to fill out. And if you're able to do that, that's very helpful to us. Uh, we take these surveys very seriously, uh, and it really helps us to direct the programming that we try and offer to folks. Um, <clears throat> 
there are uh, people saying thank you, thank you in the chat, which I am not at all surprised by. And I will just uh, go ahead and echo those thanks uh, while we're here. Um, uh, we do, uh, we're wrapping up this series, but we do have uh, the top five cases of the year uh, next, or tomorrow rather, with, uh, with Professor Sonia Lawrence. Uh, and then we are giving uh, our annual Hux Kitely Exemplary Justice Educator Award. Uh, oh, Lisa Francis. Hi, Lisa. Um, <clears throat> uh, uh, tomorrow evening as well. So uh, if you're interested in joining, uh, you can get in touch with us. I think you just send a, a, an email to awards pre. Yeah, hi. Um, uh, but uh, we can put that into the chat as well. Um, uh, and with that, uh, I'm going to ask everybody to, to join me in thanking our panelists from Black today. This was really, really helpful uh, and something that I, I know a lot of folks have been asking for us to, to connect them with for a long time. So I, uh, I'm going to say thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Uh, and with that, uh, I will say goodbye to our audience um, and ask the panelists just to hang on for a moment while we, while we sort out the last sort of uh, you know, few minutes of this. Thank you so much. Thank you everyone, thank you for having us. Thank you so much.